They can be long, they can be short, they can be simple, they can be clear-cut, they can be more in-depth, they can be grasping for words where we're groaning, trying to understand what we even want to express. There are times when we might be praying something for an extended period of time, praying the same thing, wanting, pouring our hearts to God, and there might be some times we don't even have time to pray that often. We just have to pray really fast knowing that God is in control. There's those quick prayers, those short prayers, those long prayers. There's all sorts of prayers. We pray corporately together as a body of Christ. We pray individually as worshipers of God, as his people. They come in all sizes and shapes, and they're all good. Prayers are good, and the Psalms help demonstrate that. As we read the Psalms, we see these prayers, these praises, these prayers of thanksgiving, these prayers of lament, these prayers of victory. We see all sorts of prayers kind of set to song form as we praise our wonderful God. They actually show us a rhythm and a rhyme for how we should be communicating with our God. And that's good, and it's important that we can read these and be trained by these because our prayers can be revealing as well. Our prayers reveal what's on our heart, right? When we pray, we're praying what is on our heart. We're praying what's on our mind, what's weighing us down, what we're confused about, maybe what we need direction for. Prayers reveal so much about ourselves. And at the same time, prayers reveal what we believe about God. For when we pray, we're actually confessing that we believe God is there, that he actually hears us, and that he, that he has not only hears us, he cares for us, and he has the power to respond to our prayers and answer our prayers. It reveals that we actually believe God as he is confessed in the Bible, as he is portrayed in the Bible. And so prayers reveal not just our heart, but they also reveal what we believe about God. And this is good that we now even can come to the Psalms and, and see what we're supposed to be praying, how we're supposed to be praying. And I believe we kind of see part of that rhythm in Psalm 4. So if you have Bibles, you can open up to Psalm 4. But if you do not, no worries, because it will be on the screen behind me, and we're going to just read this Psalm. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a Psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of, of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than, I, than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Sometimes when we come to the Psalms, we think, the Psalms are kind of these separate prayers that have no connection with each other, and so we kind of interact with them just like on their own. But I'm, I'm actually convinced that there's a flow to the Psalms, that the wording and the language used in one Psalm is used in the other with a purpose, that when, when people compile these together, there's this certain flow to it. And you can even just think about what we've learned so far about how Psalm 1 talks about us being people of the Word, and we're looking towards 
that one who is the perfect one of the Word, and how then Psalm 2 talks about that perfect one who's going to reign forever, and our safety and our security is in Him. And Psalm 3 is talking about this person is the one who saves us, and now Psalm 4 goes from that and says, this person who saves us is the one we call out to, who we are praying to. And that is what we see in Psalm 4, is this urge to prayer, an urge to call to God, because we know who He is. And I, I, we could summarize it, and we could say it like this, pray to God who is the source of our righteousness because He has helped us in the past, and He will help us in our current trouble. That we're trusting God enough to even pray for those who are causing us trouble, and we're praying for their repentance even as they question God, but trust that God can change them. We do this because we know the true joy and peace that come from knowing God. Well, that's something that's a little long, isn't it? I mean, that's like four sentences. So let's, let's just summarize it a little more so we can take it home and process it. And we can do that like this. Praying is trusting God for true joy and peace. That's what the psalm is teaching us, is that when we pray, we're trusting in our God for true joy and peace. He is the one who answers our prayers. He is the one who gives us this true joy and peace. And we access that. We realize that in our lives. We remind ourselves of this truth when we go to him in prayer. Praying is trusting God for true joy and peace. And when we look at the psalm, we see how it kind of builds up to this conclusion that the first aspect that this talks about when it's, when it's introducing prayer is that is grounded in a trust of God. That's how it starts. We see that right away. When, when David's writing the psalm, he says, Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. David, right at the beginning, is basing his present prayer on a past event that, God, I trust you. Why? Because when I was in distress before, you answered me. When I was going through hardship before, you answered me. So now I have confidence that when I pray to you now, you will answer me. You will respond because I trust you, because I've seen how you've worked in my life. Some commentators, uh, a commentator even says you can translate this like when you've given me relief when I was in distress into this idea that in tight places you made them broad for me. This idea that when I was going through hardship, when it was getting a little tight, when I was experiencing distress and things seemed to be bearing down on me, you answered and made it broad for me. You made me able to walk through faithfully. And so David based this prayer on a trust in who God is. That prayer starts with trust. Without trusting God's character, without trusting his word, would we even pray? There would be no need to pray because we, when we pray, we're showing that, hey, we trust God is who he said he is. When we pray, we're saying, hey, we trust that God says, hey, pray and I will answer you. And so prayer starts with trust. Without trusting God, prayer makes no sense. And David grounds this in his past experiences, that, his, that God's past faithfulness really grounds David's prayers in the present. And the same should be true for us. When David speaks of God and says, you've answered me in the past, so I trust in you and pray to you now. The same should be true for us because we know how God has worked in our lives in the past. We have had experience with God 
that lends itself to our reasons why we pray. That we've prayed before and we know that He's answered us, and He's answered us in ways we probably didn't even expect before. But we pray because we have this experience with God. I came across this illustration from an author that I thought was so, so good. It's, it says, our prayer life should be like the iceberg in the ocean. With a great mass of spirituality under the surface that no one can see, rather than the iceberg lettuce floating in the water. With all the vegetable on the top and nothing under the surface. Our prayer life should be more than meets the eye. I love that because it's talking about our past experience. Because we know who God is, because we know how he's interacted with us, because we know how he has saved us, because we know how he loves us, because we know how he's answered us before, our prayer life is just that little iceberg peeking out that is based off of all of this past experience that we know to be true. And so we pray to God knowing who he is. Not just as the Bible tells him, but how he has worked in our own lives. We pray to God based, first based on this trust. But David even goes further than that because he talks about who God is and how he loves his people. He talks about who God is by, by even calling upon him as, O oh God of my righteousness. That David is recognizing who God is, that he is the source of David's righteousness. David knows he has nothing to bring before the holy God. He knows he is not the perfect person. He knows that on his own merits he cannot stand before God. But he, So he prays, O oh God of my righteousness, the one who makes me righteous, I pray to you so that I can even come before you. And that David trusts God as who he is, a God who gives his righteousness to us a God who makes us who he wants us to be. But he's not just this God who does this, but he also is a God who loves his people. For David says, but down in verse 3, <clears throat> but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Now, this is part of why David trusts in a God. This is why, this is why David has faith to pray. Because he knows God has set him and his people apart for God. That God loves them to the extent that he has brought them into a family, that he's brought them into God's family and has set them apart. And this leads David to pray. And we should have that same trust with our amazing God that David has. But not only so, we should have it a little bit more clearer Maybe I would argue we should have a little bit more confidence because while David was praying these things based off his own experience and how God has interacted with the nation of Israel before, when we pray these things, we pray these things in the light of Christ. <clears throat> we pray these things in the light of him sending his son. And so we can speak the truth of the gospel to ourselves when we pray these things, saying this is why we have trust in God. This is why we can trust God to answer us when we call. Because he who gave his own son for us, why we're still sinners, why would he not give us now anything we need? Why would he hesitate to respond to us? Why would he not give us our, what we need in our times of need? He's already given us his son. He's already sent his son to die for us. And so now he's going to give Continue that work that he's started in our lives. And so we can be confident and pray with confidence, pray with faith. This is our great God who loves us and responds to us. Not only so, but we know how and why God has made us righteous. 
we can see how David says, oh God of my righteousness, and we can see, oh, I know how he did that. It's not for my own doing. It's not because of I'm good enough. No, he did this through Jesus Christ. When he sent his son for us, this son is the one who took our sin upon himself and gave his righteousness to us so that now we can stand before our holy God and praise his name and enter the throne with confidence, bringing our prayers and knowing that he answers us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he, talking about Jesus, well, talking about God, made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we know this for sure. We, standing on the other side of the cross and the resurrection, know this for sure. And so when you read David's prayers, we can pray all the more confidently, knowing how God loves us, knowing how God has saved us knowing that we should trust this God. Because praying is trusting God. And when we're praying, I think David gives us an example, an, um, a model to pray in the, in the psalm. But we see that he starts praying for himself, but he also prays for other people. At the first, the first ghetto, is he, he starts praying for himself, and so this should encourage all believers, anyone who believes in God, especially anyone who believes in God through Jesus Christ, to be encouraged to pray. That when David starts the psalm, answer me when I call, and then be gracious to me and hear my prayers, he's talking about we are encouraged to pray. The context that David's praying in clearly is that he's going through some distress. That there's some trouble happening in his life, and, and he's praying to God, trusting who God is, but he's praying. He, he knew his first response, uh, a, a vital response for his life, is to pray for God, trusting him in this time of distress. And when we read this, knowing who David is and his life and, and how he had a lot of distress in his life, a lot of trouble, some of his own making, we can read this and maybe think, well, this is poetic language that is just David talking to God, that he, in his time of distress, goes to God in prayer. But I would say and argue, this is public domain. And we see that with that title, To the Choir Master, with string instruments, a psalm of David. David wrote this and penned it and said, hey, sing this, people. To the choir master, the person leading worship, this is for our benefit. And let's slap some string instruments on that and make it little jiggy. Because this is going to set into our hearts as we worship our God and we praise Him. That this is a public domain. This is, this is actually for our public benefit. So when we read these psalms and we're tempted to put them completely in their context, devoid of where we are, we should need to be reminded this is for our benefit to grow and know who God is and respond with the same faith that David had. And so we, we are encouraged to pray. So when we read this, I would say, brothers and sisters, be encouraged to pray. When we read this, and when you hear him say, answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness, that should be our prayer as well. That when we pray, we say, God, answer me. You're the God of my righteousness. Answer me. There's so much going on. I need your help. We should be encouraged to pray, to pray in trouble, pray in hardship, pray when things get confusing, pray when we don't understand what we're supposed to do next, pray when we don't... Um, understand how the world is going, that we pray and we trust and we pray and we see God at work 
in our lives. What was interesting is that the psalm doesn't just stay there. He doesn't just say, answer me, God, and pray and you know, deliver me from these circumstances. But he changes it and adds it, and he starts praying for those who are actually the cause of his troubles. We see this in uh, verse 4. Well, verse 2 and then in verse 4, we, and we see this development where he's actually talking, starts addressing these guys, these men who are causing him these problems, and he starts praying for them. In verse 4, when he says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, in your own beds, and be silent. He's praying for them to consider their ways. That they actually take a moment, take a step back, and think about what is happening. That language really carries this sense, this image of someone being quiet in his own bed, kind of this mental, this mental picture of this guy who's done wrong or maybe he's in rebellion and he, he's kind of realizing his error and he has to take a step back and sit there and really contemplate what's going on and thinking about how to address that. And that's what David is doing. He's praying for these people who are causing him trouble, but he's praying for them to repent. He's praying for them to understand and consider their ways. In verse 5, we see how he responds to them considering what they've done. He says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. He's actually praying for them to understand that there's a path back. There's a path of repentance, that they can be right with God. They can, they can confess their sins. They can offer these right sacrifices and then praise God like they're supposed to. They can put their trust in God. And then in verse 6, we see that even when people question, when they say, there are many who say, who will show us some good? You get this response that these people who are causing these problems saying, yeah, but what is good? Can God even show us what is needed? And David's response is simple. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. That David's praying for these other people. He's praying for them to consider their ways. He's praying for them to repent of their ways. And then he's praying for God to move in their hearts. He's praying for God to show himself to them. That he can actually show his face upon these people so that they realize how they're in the wrong and they can come back to God. This is a great, this is a great um, encouragement to us and also a great challenge to us. That we don't just pray for ourselves, we actually are praying for those people who cause us harm. We're praying for those people who are causing trouble for us. And we pray for our enemies, trusting that God can make them consider their ways, trusting that God can make them repent, and trusting that God can be at work in their lives. So when we read this, we, we should be encouraged to be praying. We pray. Just like David starts praying, we pray. We should be encouraged to pray. But again, because we stand on the other side of the cross and resurrection, we don't just pray like someone like David who knows how God has worked historically and in his own life and in the nation of Israel. We pray like someone who knows the great salvation through Jesus Christ. And so when we pray, we trust. And when we pray, we have that total confidence because God sent his son to save us, to stand in our place condemned and give us his righteousness, that we have complete access to the Father. That when we pray, we have confidence that we can be ushered into the throne 
throne room of grace, and He hears us, and He loves us, and He's going to respond to our prayers. When we read the book of Hebrews, we see this again and again. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and to help in our time of need. Hebrews 10, 14, I mean 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and he goes on to talk about how we should draw near and worship and prayer. So we pray in our times of troubles. We pray when we need help. We pray to our God. That should be our response because we know how much he loves us and is going to respond to us. And then, the part we might not like, we also pray like David for those who cause us harm. We pray for our enemies. We pray for those we might not like. We pray for that troublesome coworker. We pray for that neighbor who's trying to take your property line away. We pray for anyone, even the person who cuts you off while you're driving. You pray for those who cause you distress. And it's funny, this shouldn't surprise us. For Jesus says this exact same thing, right? In Matthew 5, 44, he says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the idea that we're called to pray for those who do us wrong. And I love when we look at what David's praying for them, this is not praying for those for them to get what's coming to them. We're not praying against these people. We're actually seeing these people made in the image of God, and we're praying for them, and we're saying, I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know their history, but Lord, be at work. Make them consider their ways and see how they've gone astray from you. Make them consider their ways and see how they're hurting people. Make them consider their ways and then bring them to a place of repentance. Bring them to a place where they know how they can actually respond to you and come to know you through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you cause your face to shine upon them so that you, are, that you can show yourself to them so that they may be changed. That we're actually praying for people to come to know who God is. This is actually pretty strange when you think about it, that we look at those people who hurt us and we pray for them. And what is our prayer for them? Lord, make them my brother and sister so that I can love them like I'm supposed to love them. Pray for those who harm us because that is what God directs us to because God is working in ways we cannot even fathom because praying is trusting God. And when we're praying and trusting God, we pray for this true joy and peace that only can come through God. For that is how David kind of ends this psalm, these last two verses, that we can have this joy and we can have this peace in God that defies expectation. Psalm uh, verse uh, 7, he says, You have put more joy in my heart than, you have, than they have when their grain and wine abound. That David say basically saying, hey, I have more joy in God than all these people who do not know God have in their material possessions and, and what they have in this world. I have more joy in God than they have in their bounty of stuff. When I read that, I almost get this image of this massive party of merriment. It is lit. Good stuff. The grain is abounding. The wine is abounding. Life seems to be good. 
They're having joy and happiness in that moment, and it looks great. We would probably want to be at that party. And David says, I have more joy in God than they could ever experience in that. That when I look at what God has done in my life, I find more joy, contentment, satisfaction, happiness than they will ever know in that. That the joy in God transcends the highest heights possible for the worldly who do not know God. Which begs the question, is that you? Is that us? Do we have that joy? Do we feel that joy that comes from knowing who God is? Knowing who God is and how he loves us? But it's not just joy that David ends in. He ends with saying that he has peace. In verse 8, he says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. We hit on this last week in, in Psalm 3, but this, this carries the idea that David knows God's in control. David knows he gives him safety. David knows that no matter how hard he strives, he can't secure his own life perfectly. And so he has that faith and that trust saying, I can actually go to sleep and lie down and release my burdens. Why? Because you, O oh God, are my safety. You protect me. And so we get this great sense of peace that comes from knowing who our God is. Now, I'll just, I'll just admit and confess right now, that's hard for me, for I'm not the person that maybe has the greatest level of peace in my life. I kind of walk around with a worry work, thinking of everything that could happen wrong, and I kind of grab my life with white knuckles, thinking I can kind of muscle this into place and do okay. But this is speaking to those people like me, probably speaking to those people like you, that we can actually have faith in who our God is and His love for us, that we can let go and trust in him. It's not saying, hey, you can just lounge around and it'll be fine. No, it's saying you do what you're called to do. You trust God and how you're supposed to trust God. You do your life, but you know that he is protecting you and so you can live a full life working for him. Which begs that question again. Do we, do you have that peace? Well, I'll just offer to you with that joy and that peace, if you know who Jesus Christ is, our answer should be a resounding yes. If you know who Jesus Christ is, you know that joy and peace were mentioned by him himself when he came to save us. When he walked this earth and he taught his disciples, and we read in the Gospels, he says he's bringing this joy and he's bringing this peace. And we see this again through the writers of the New Testament processing what this means, and they're saying he brought joy and he brings peace. And we see this again and again through this. And so if we know who Jesus Christ is, we should be able to answer yes to these questions. Yes, we might doubt sometimes. Yes, that might be faded a little bit and the worries of the world kind of can cloud our judgment. But yes, Ultimately, when we know who Jesus is, we have joy and peace. For Jesus says in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. He wants us to have a full joy. What's that full joy? Of knowing how we 
humans who are designed to be with God, who are designed to have a relationship with the Father, but sin has come and broken that, and we're estranged, and we're away, and we're alone, and we're orphans, and we're rebels, and we're looking for something. The joy comes when we can come back to God through Jesus Christ and know who we were made to be. He says, this is your full joy, being complete in God through Jesus Christ. And that's the joy we have, a joy that far transcends the worldly pleasures of this life. We have this joy. Jesus promises it, and when we know him, we can experience it. But we also have peace. The peace of knowing who God is. In John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That Jesus is telling us we have a peace. A peace like David, that he can go to sleep because he knows God's in control. A peace that only a Christ follower can have because we know that we are made right because of Christ and we can stand before our Father. If we're wondering how we have this peace, Paul talks about this in Romans 5, 1, where he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That Paul is making this grand statement, hey, before Jesus came along, before you knew who he was, you were at war with God. You are a rebel with no hope of winning. You are spitting in God's face and going your own way. But when Jesus comes and he saves you, he has brought you peace with God. He has brought us together with God. We are no longer at war. We're now his sons and daughters. And because of that, we have this great peace because we are in line with our maker, the creator, the almighty of the universe universe. And this happens because of Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a great peace that should settle in our hearts because we are, have that relationship we're designed for. Praying and is trusting God for this true joy and this true peace that we have through Jesus Christ. Joy and peace are ours when we know who Jesus is. So what should our response be? Well, hopefully we can celebrate. <laughs> Say, yes, thank you, Lord Jesus, and we praise his name. But as we see this and this urge to prayer, this is a command, a call, an encouragement to be a people of prayer. And we should be a people of prayer. If we know this is true, and we know that we have this true joy and just true peace in Christ, if we know we should trust God, if we know He hears when we call upon Him, we should be a people of prayer. We should be people who automatically and naturally fall to our knees before our great God and just pour out our hearts and our minds to Him, asking Him to work at our lives. We should be praying for those other people, our loved ones, and the circumstances in our lives, at our workplace. We should be praying for the world and our nation. We should be praying for those who have wronged us, those who are doing wrong towards us right now. We should be praying for them. We should be a people of prayer. And we naturally respond to what God has done for us by praying. You know, sometimes, often, when we talk about the, the fact that we should be people of prayer, a lot of people can maybe feel guilty. I, I can feel guilty because I'm like, man, I know this is true. I know this is a fact. But so often I don't pray like I should. So often I don't do what I feel like I should do. And I, was, I, would, I, would, I would ask you, don't 
listen to that guilt because that's not what I'm saying when I'm saying let's be people of prayer. I'm just saying listen to the amazing privilege and honor we have and let that drive you. Just think for a moment. The creator of all that there is, the one who spun the galaxies in place, the one who set the stars in their place, the one who created the earth from nothing, who formed Adam from dust and breathed life into him, who sets the boundaries of nations and people and places every single person where they should go, including you. This God who reigns in his control, this holy God who loves and moves through history, he says, you can speak to me. And I listen. Not only more, but he says, call upon me in your time of need, and I will answer. You want to chat? I'm here. Pour out your grief. Pour out your anger. Pour out your lament. I'm willing to listen and help you process. And all that you go through, come to me, and I'm here to help guide you and lead you in my ways. That is God's attitude with us in prayer. What a privilege we have. What an honor it is to know that when we speak in our minds, when we speak aloud, when we speak together, when we speak by ourselves, when we speak shortly, when we speak longly, when we speak all sorts of things, God receives them, listens to them, and responds to them. So let's be a people of faith, people of prayer. Let's take hold of this promise. Because praying is trusting God for true joy and peace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word where we can read it, we can process it, we can be encouraged through it. Lord, I just pray for all of us that we can be a people of prayer. That we can be a people who see this great privilege for what it is and want to respond with all of who we are. Lord, I just pray that we can be people who can trust you, knowing how you have worked in our lives in the past and respond with faith for the future. Lord, I just pray that we can be people who can pray for those who wrong us as well as ourselves, knowing that you're at work in their lives and we pray that they can come to be brothers and sisters. Lord, I, I just ask that we can be a people of prayer, that this church can be a church of prayer, knowing and trusting who, and who you are, living for you in all that we do. Lord, I just ask that you continue to work in our hearts. And I pray for anyone who, who might struggle with prayer to be encouraged and not feel guilt, but be encouraged to take hold of this great promise, be encouraged to take hold of this great privilege we have for anyone who wants to know that joy and peace hasn't experienced it yet. I just ask, Lord, that you work in their hearts and show your face to them. That they may know you and respond for all who, who they are. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen.